welcome to episode number 36 of the Runners of Hue podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Yodi. Today's guest is Laura Mantia, aka Tiny Iron Girl on Instagram. Originally from Cartagena, Colombia, Laura has lived in Houston for the last 10 years. A self-proclaimed tiny but mighty endurance junkie, she wears many hats. Laura is a full-time mom, a full-time consultant, a full-time coach, and a full-time athlete. I mean, I'm tired just thinking about all those things. Um, But back to that whole endurance junkie thing, she ran her virtual Houston Marathon this year, paced by her parents who were riding bikes in 313. And she talks about her experience at the 2021 Half Ironman World Championships in St. George. I think the favorite thing I learned about Laura is that her go-to race fuel while on the bike in the middle of an Ironman competition is tiny baked potatoes. Triathletes are so weird, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, honest. I mean, come on. If you've listened to this long enough, you know by now that I've never even run a full marathon. So to talk to someone about their training and racing everything from a half to a full to a half Ironman and a full Ironman, it was just really fascinating to me. Um, we talked through what the difference is like training for all those things. I know can throw a lot of shade at triathletes, especially if they're doing Ironman competitions, but I find the whole thing fascinating and I really enjoyed talking to Laura. And make sure you listen all the way through to find out why, if she could run with anyone on this planet right now, it would be Molly Seidel. Hope you all enjoy this episode. All right. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Why don't we jump right in? Please tell everybody who you are what you do, and where in the Houston area you live. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Laura Mantia. I am not native to Houston like yourself. I'm originally from Cartagena, Colombia, and I live in Houston. I've lived in Houston for the last 10 years. Um, I'm in the city, so near downtown area. I am a full-time mom, full-time consultant, full-time coach, (laughs) and full-time athlete. So I wear many hats. And sound very busy. But I'm also not a native. I moved here about 10 years ago, too. Yeah, you're from Philadelphia, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The Philadelphia area. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've listened to several of your podcasts, so I'm familiar. You're you're not, you don't love the heat. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Or humidity. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's very accurate, but I think that I prefer it to the freezing cold at this point. So Agreed. that's where we're at. Agreed. Um, well, so if you're not from Houston, what brought you to Houston? So I lived in Houston kind of in and out. It's kind of strange. So my father, he works for oil and gas. So kind of like an army child that moves around a lot. We do. We did the same, but for his projects that were overseas. So I was born in Colombia, and at age five, my parents um, decided to leave the country because of everything that was going on um, in the country politically. I'm sure a lot of you watch Narcos, and everyone asked me, is that what happened, like Narcos? It's a very Hollywood version of what happened, so yes, it's partially true, but yes, 
So I was born in 88. So right when all of that was just in flux and um, it was very dangerous. We um, had some property in the outskirts of Colombia that were getting um, terrorist attacks or guerrillas. It's called a gorilla. They were, it was getting attacked. And so, you know, my family just thought it was best for us to leave. So my grandparents were already in Florida in Orlando and they had moved because of the same reason. And so we basically moved with them um, to Orlando, Florida. We lived there for a few years and then we moved to Texas um, because my dad decided to get his master's in Texas A&M. So we live in Texas A&M. Uh, I grew up there. My elementary schooling is there. And then my dad gets a job in Houston, so we moved to Houston. Um, and then fast forward until I'm about in middle school, my dad gets the opportunity to work in, on an overseas assignment in South America. So in Venezuela, which is the neighboring country to Colombia. So we moved to Venezuela when I'm about 11 years old. And we live there until I'm 18. So my developmental years, like my high school and, you know, my rebel years were actually in the best country ever in South America, where you can drink at age 15 <laughs> and go to parties and do everything you can do here in America. So um, I definitely had a great uh, teenage years over there. I wasn't rebellious really I was just you know doing what everyone at that age was doing which in that country there's nothing wrong with it it's very different than than here right like it's normal for kids to have a beer and at 16 years old no one's doing anything crazy apart from you know smoking cigarettes in the bathroom at school so yeah you know had a little bit of that had fun over there and then my parents well my dad's project ends in Venezuela and um I had to move my senior year to Houston, which was very unfortunate. Um, that is when I really kind of lost it. You know, when you're a teenager, you kind of think that things are the end of the world. And I had a boyfriend at the time. Um, so of course it was, for me, it was a tragedy having to move to the U.S. where all I could do is go to the movie theater. <laughs> Not at all what I was used to doing in Venezuela. So yes, we moved back to Houston and I finished up my senior year with 600 kids that I didn't know versus my school in Venezuela, which was like 20 of us. Um, so yeah, very big, very big change for me. Um, I was already very adapted to that culture and lifestyle and then coming here, I had to kind of readapt, rewire everything. And um, so I go to college in up north near you, well, up in Boston area. And so all throughout my upbringing, um, I was a soccer player. And so um, I think that's kind of what helps me so much with my running and uh, just endurance overall. I played, I was a midfielder. So running up and down the field is what I did constantly. And I'm quite small. So they would call me the, the tiny mighty mouse on my soccer teams. Um, and that's kind of like what I was in charge of doing, just running around the field and I loved it. So uh, I go to Boston, I play college for, for an NCAA school, Division II. Uh, I did that for a year. And just like you said that you hate the freezing cold, I hated the freezing cold too. It snowed so much that the snow would like go up to my thighs. And I, like I said, I'm very short. So I thought, you know what, one day I am going to walk somewhere and not be found because this is just too much, too much snow. You know, I don't want to risk dying of 
being buried alive in snow. So I gave up my collegiate soccer career and I moved back to Texas and went to Texas A&M and finished up college there. And so, okay, well, so if you stopped playing college when you moved back to Texas, when did you, when did like running for kick in. for fun, if you want to call it that, when did you start running right. on your own? So interestingly enough, I played soccer, I moved to a or transferred to a I They didn't have a women's soccer team for like a collegiate level soccer team. They only had club teams and they weren't very welcoming. So I didn't really play with them. I did intramurals with friends and I just liked running. Like I would run to class, which people thought I was very strange for doing that because I wasn't very presentable. And that's probably why people didn't want to sit next to me, except my friends. And I would just take like another shirt, you know, no problem. And then go to the gym afterward and then run more. (laughs) They had like an indoor track. Mm -hmm. And so I would run more and then do intramurals, but I never was really into, Oh, I'm going to register for a 5k or a 10k. I just enjoyed running for the act of running. Uh, I didn't even know my pace. I didn't have a Garmin watch. Um, I just knew that if I left 30 minutes before class, I would have to be there 10 minutes before. So I would run like three miles and I'd make sure I'd take that much time. And that's kind of how I calculated, you know, pace and whatnot. So I did that in college. um, And it wasn't until I graduate college and I start working that I did my first, I think it was my first 10K. So that was in 2011, 2010. I did my first 10K, which was the Houston Turkey Trot. And I loved it. I had so much fun, you know, being out there with everyone, just um, competing against myself. And that's when I really got into the fact that, oh, okay, uh, I ran at this pace. What does that mean? Because, you know, it, it wasn't, I was never part of a track team. So I wasn't used to knowing, you know, 400s, 800s. I would do track as part of my soccer practice, but it was just, hey, run the track as fast as possible kind of thing, right? Um, for training, for soccer practice. Um, So it wasn't until after college that I got into actual like racing um, and doing running, you know, specific races. Well, so yes. And, but you also, what then, I mean, soccer and running. Yes. But then you also started tries. Yes. I started tries. Yeah. So that kind of happened simultaneously so I do my first turkey trot and and then I start um, doing spinning classes and I always my dad is an avid cyclist he's been cycling his whole life I think that man probably cycled before he walked because he's obsessed he is my biggest um, inspiration when it comes to cycling and he's actually the one that got me into cycling so he always had for us it was like what for Christmas do you want a bicycle or something that you can go out and do activity with. It wasn't like a game console or anything. So anyway, he um, gets me into cycling and we register for the MS-150. This was in parallel while I'm doing like 5Ks, 10Ks. Mm-hmm. So he regist- He has me register for the MS-150 and he buys me. He actually didn't buy me a bike. He's like, use your brother's old bike. You're short. It's fine. It'll fit. Yes, my brother's four years younger than me and his bike fit me perfectly. So I used this old 
giant, like it's not a giant is the brand. So this older model uh, aluminum frame bike and let's train for MS150, let's do it. So um, him and I started doing spinning classes at Lifetime on the side to train. And this instructor, she is a, um, a, she's hardcore. She had kids now, so she's kind of, she hasn't been active, but she was a very active triathlete. She would win all of her age groups. Her name is Melanie. Um, she was the spinning instructor. And she would talk about these races, like, I'm racing again. I'm doing a sprint. I'm doing an Olympic. And I won, yeah, I won my age group and everyone. She was, like, super muscular and just, like, this woman is amazing. I want to be this woman. What is this triathlon that you're doing? I want to do it. What do I have to do? Swim? I can swim. I swam when I was a kid. I did swim team all my life, like growing up, you know, run. I can run all day. And then biking. Well, what I'm practicing right now, I'm doing MS 150. So she inspires me and tells me sign up for this triathlon. It's, it's here in Katie. I lived in Katie at the time. Um, and it's called Oktoberfest. You'll love it, and you'll get a kind of a taste for what this what it is. So, okay, sure, sprint distance, super easy, like 400-meter swim. I think it's like a 14-mile bike and a, a 5K run. So I train with her. I swim with her, um, train for MS-150 on the side, and I'm running with that, that tri-run uh, club from the gym. And so I do this Oktoberfest race and I loved it. I said, this is so much fun. I do all these activities in one day and I'm just I, like, I have it on my Instagram. I'm an endurance junkie. That's like my thing. It's to what keeps me going. And so I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the triathlon sport after that race. And I finished the race and I think that was great. You know, um, my friends are there. Let's go celebrate. I need a beer. If you know me, as soon as I finish the race, don't give me pizza. Don't give me a bagel. Don't give me anything. Just give me a cold beer and I'm happy. So we go to get these cold beers. And then this Melanie, uh, she calls me. She's like, where, do you, where are you? Like, what do you mean where I'm? I'm getting beers, what I should be doing. She says, no, 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 you need to come back. You're, you're, they're calling your name. You just won your age group. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I won my age group. What does that even mean? I've never, like, you know, being a in soccer you you win a game so i get that but what do you mean you i win an age group like i didn't understand that concept right so um good thing i was just down the street hadn't opened my first beer yet so we rushed back and i get on the podium i get my little plaque and then i was like okay this is this is my sport you know um i feel like i'm good at it and i enjoy doing it and i love training for it um especially because i can run and do running events while I'm doing tri events. Like to me, that has been, I love it. I have my running community and my tri community and they don't affect each other. They only make me stronger in both disciplines. And that is why it is like my, uh, my calling, I guess you can call it. Okay. Well, so it looks like you did those first events in 2011, the tri and the tricky trot. And then there was a, a hot long time where you took a break and didn't race at all. That's right. So after that, I um, moved to Belgium. Oh. I, yes. I decided, yeah, I decided to go get my master's. Okay. Um, because, so at the time that I did all of, um, the first few races, I was working in a, an oil and gas company, and I was doing contract work for them. 
uh, actually in the contracts department. Uh, and it just wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it. I was just thinking of what, what I could do, like what race should I do next? I wasn't really focused in my, in my work. And to me, it was like, I just spent four years of college and I'm not practicing anything that I studied and I'm not really, I don't feel like this is my, this is going to be the industry that I'm going to be happy in. So I decided to, I wanted to go to law school and I thought law school in the U.S. is ridiculously expensive. It's probably going to take me until I'm a grandma to pay it off. So uh, why not try Europe? I mean, I don't want to be a litigator. I want to work more in like corporate legal department. Mm -hmm. And so um, I investigated and there's a university based out of uh, Kent, the U.K., um, called the University of Kent. And they have a group or a, a sister school in Belgium, in Brussels, that is uh, international relations and international law. And so I apply, I get accepted, and I, in three months, I pack my things, and I don't know anyone over there, but I just, I said, F it, I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my master's and get my LLM, which is a, a master in law. So I live in Brussels for two years, and... While I'm there, obviously there wasn't, you know, my focus was just on my education and drinking beer and eating French fries and a lot of chocolate. So, <laughs> but I was, I was very active. I did run a ton just because there was so much, there's so many running trails over there and the weather was always cold. So that was, and then I didn't cycle. I just would do spinning classes at the gym, but I did run a lot. That's how, that was like my, avenue for de-stressing was running. So then did you come back as soon as you graduated or what, how did that work? Yeah. So I come back. Um, so there was a point where I was getting a little, uh, overwhelmed with how it was just always gloomy and cold in Brussels. So Brussels is like London. I think they only have like 30 days out of the year where the sun shines. Mm -hmm. And so after two years of that, um, especially during the time where I was writing my dissertation, it was just kind of months of being inside writing and writing and it was gloomy outside and very cold and rainy. And my parents at the time were living in Colombia in our home city in Cartagena. My dad actually got a project there after having not lived there for 30 years, they got a project there, which was kind of a, a, a blessing. So they're living in Cartagena and I'm really wanting to leave Brussels to finish my dissertation. And so they told me, just come here and finish it here. And, you know, we have a room for you and just be a broke college student here and, you know, live off of your parents again. And I was like, well, how am I going to refuse that offer? So <laughs> I moved back to Colombia and I finished my dissertation and lots of running there because my home city has this beautiful trail along the bay. So I was doing every day I was running at least 10 K like not just, you know, dissertation just does that to you. So I finished my dissertation. I turned it in virtually, obviously, um, electronically. Luckily it was, I was able to do that. And, um, I moved back to Houston. So I finished that. I, you know, I peace out parents. Um, I know you guys are tired of me. I'm tired of you guys. I'm going to go be an adult again. So I moved to Houston because I knew this is where I'm going to find a job and this is where I want to live. Mm -hmm. So I moved back here in 2013. 
and I look for a job. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) Everybody's favorite thing to do. Um, so it looks like though you, so you don't really get back into racing. You race a tiny bit in 2015 and then 2016, you run two marathons. Yeah. 2016 I take off. Yeah. And then some tries. Yeah. That's when I take off again. So 2013, again, I looking for a job, um, finally find a job, get into consulting, which is where I am now. And then I get back into triathlon and racing the following year. I start signing up for races, um, kind of getting acquainted to all the local groups again after having been been gone. Mm -hmm. And um, I discover a few different groups out, um, well, within the city that I start training with. Um, And then I finally register for my first half Ironman. And that's when I, yeah, that's when I start really getting into Ironman training, and before I did the Ironman, though, I did do um, the fir- my first marathon, which was the Woodlands Marathon. And and for that, I had, like, no expectation. I just thought, I just, I'm just going to go run. I don't care. I thought in my mind, maybe if I did sub four, that would be fun. And I think I did, like, 3.57 or something like that. 3.56.40. So, there you go. So pre- I was pretty close to what I thought I could do. And then from there, I thought, you know, I'm capable of doing way better than that. Let's try going for like sub 330. So that was my next goal. And now I'm going for sub three. So here we are. Well, first, though, you told me a little bit about this offline. But first, you run Marine Corps at the end of 2016 with your friend. So what what happened there? Oh, yeah, that was my most memorable marathon. (laughs) So that uh, my friend was trying so hard to beat Oprah. So for those of you who did not know, Oprah ran a marathon in four hours and 30 minutes. And so my friend just thought, look, if Oprah can run a free 30, 4.30, I have to be able to do this. So to encourage her and to give her, you know, that kind of support and um, from a pacing standpoint, I thought, look, I have, I'm already doing another marathon this year. Why not? Let me pace you for this one. And, you know, I don't care if, it's not my goal. I want to help you achieve your goal. So let's run the 430. Let's be Oprah. Let's do like 428. And so she's like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, perfect. Let's do it. So we have this plan. Um, I had, a, you know, a racing strategy and also just like um, a schedule to follow her. And just to get her, just to get her prepared, you know, we both were on board with what we were going to run each week, et cetera. So we get to D.C., so she's from D.C., or lived at D.C. at the time, so I travel over there, and this girl, bless her heart, she just, the day of, it was just one of those days where it wasn't your day, right, for her, and so we struggled. I I mean, I was, I felt great, but seeing her struggle, you know, I really had to tone it down because I'm very much always pretty excited for people and like, I know you can do it, you have it in you. I would consider myself very mentally strong and that's one of the things that I um, I practice every day when I'm training I always have at least 10-15 minutes and I know that sounds like a lot but I really do of meditation to myself of what is it that I'm going to accomplish in this training session and even in races um, so I I'm a big proponent of you have to you can't just train physically you have to train mentally that's just as important and so I guess, you know, for her, she's not mentally strong and she knows this. So I'm not, you know, bashing her. But 
as soon as she felt like a little bit over exerted, she shut down. She shut down on me. And so we were shuffling. I call it the marathon shuffle. That's what we did for five hours. It was horrible. Five hours and one minute. So, (laughs) yeah. So, um, but you know, it taught me to be very patient. So it taught me that my goals don't necessarily mean more just because I have a faster goal time, you know, um, sometimes those races teach you more than what races that UPR teach you. So I like to look back at that and and try to find what the silver lining from that race was. And and she's still trying to be 430. And I told her I would try and pace her again. (laughs) She has not offered for me to pace her. So (laughs) there's that. So, I mean, you've gotten into tries, you're running, you've now done two marathons, and I'm assuming it was before that. What made you make the jump to say, I want to do, well, you started with the half Ironman. Yes, I started with the half Ironman. I had already done sprint and Olympic distance, and I had done several of them, and, uh, and I, I felt like, okay, well, I've already run a full marathon and half marathon. Um, I've almost swam, you know, the distance of the half Ironman. So the Olympic distance swim to the half isn't that much more. I think it's like a thousand yards, not that much. And the bike I've done multiple MS, by that time I've done multiple MS 150s. I did one like every year and many, many century rides. So I thought, you know, I can, I can definitely do a half Ironman and I just register and start training for that. And so... Well, so your first one was Texas, Iron Man, Texas, right? Yeah, Galveston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. personally, I mean, I've been to uh, most of the major marathons. I've never been to an Iron Man. So what was that? I mean, and it's your first one. What was that experience like? Yeah, that experience is definitely uh, one to remember. It's, um, there's... You know, a marathon, you do your expo, you go pick up your packet, um, you go to the vendor booth. So all of that is pretty much the same. Um, however, for Ironman, they call it, so the expo is called Ironman Village. So you see, you know, all the athletes go walk around and they look at the same, all of the vendors, pick up your packet. Um, the difference is it's a lot more nerve wracking because there's a lot more logistically that you need to think of. So a marathon, what do you prep? You prep your nutrition, you prep your shoe, you make sure your shoe, got your shoes, your soles, your, your running belt and your bib. And then you take your flat picture and post it on social media. I'm ready for the marathon. Get your sleep, get your carbs. For an Ironman, it's um, a lot more than that. You have to prepare a lot more. So you go to the Ironman village and you get your timing chip. Your timing chip is like you, you have a bib as well. So you have your bib and then you have your ankle timing chip that you put on the morning of the race and you have to leave it on throughout the whole race. Um, you, you grab all of that, you sign all the waivers. I don't, yes, I am okay. If I die, I know it is my fault, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then you get your swim cap, you get all of that good stuff. So once you get that, you have to then take your bike to the check-in. So your bike check-in, you go into a transition area. That transition area is where you go to to change out of the clothes that you wore or out of your wetsuit. So you go into the swim, 
and then you go to transition, you take off your, your cap, your swim cap, your goggles, and your wetsuit, if it's wetsuit legal, and you leave it in transition where your bike is. And then you grab your bike, put on your bike shoes, put on your helmet, and leave transition, go do your bike, come back to the same transition, drop off your bike, take off your shoes, your helmet, put on your sunglasses and your hat and your running shoes and then and your bib and running belt and you're off to run. So because you do all of that from that one location, you, may, you have to make sure that your transition area is spot on. So, you know, as a newbie triathlete, you're like, okay, am I, am I missing anything? You often take too much things. Like I remember I took like breakfast. I wasn't going to eat that. <laughs> And so people that know me know that I'm a, I, I, where I struggle the most is not in any of the three disciplines, but in my transitions, because it seems like I drink cappuccinos while I'm in transition, make myself a sandwich. I take so long. I don't know why. Again, this is one of the things where you have to be so prepared and you have to practice it too. So, you know, coming in after having just done, um, when you compare it to just running events, um, logistically, there's just so much more to plan, like making sure your nutrition for each of the disciplines is there, uh, making sure there's a towel because if you run from the swim to the bike, your feet will get dirty and then you have to put on cycling shoes. And I don't like grass in between my toes. So I have water there to rinse off my toes. This is probably why I take so long to transition. A lot of people don't care about that. But <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking in that instance, you know, as a first timer, um, I was definitely nervous for that. And, um, and now that I go back and now that I race and see first timers, I can, you can just tell that they're first timers because they're just looking and making sure everything's there and they don't really know what to do. And they probably have pumped way too much air in their tires. And <laughs> so, yeah, I try to give them a little bit of a, a little bit of a talk when I see those, like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. You won't forget anything. But yeah. Well, so, but what was the actual race like for you? I mean, you talked a little bit about oh, how you... Oh, race. Did, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the well, I wanted to know both, but now tell me about the race. Yeah, the actual race. I mean, it. Um, the swim was, was pretty calm. That was actually my biggest concern was the swim. I don't know why I was so nervous about swimming in the ocean. I think, you know, just even though it was the Bay of Galveston, uh, whenever you have a lot of or choppier water, it will make you a little disoriented when you get on the bike. You may have, you know, you just are a little dizzy from all of the movement that you had on the swim. And so I was worried I was going to get on the bike and feel dizzy and pass out on the bike. But luckily that didn't happen. Um, of course, you get when you swim with a mass start and this was a, a, a mass start. So everyone jumps in the water and then they, you know, um, uh, put the horn, how we say it, the horn goes off and you just go. And so it's like, it's like a bunch of salmon's just like swimming over each other and hitting each other and elbowing each other. And uh, I, luckily I, I knew I had a feeling that would happen. So I swam kind of, towards the outside of the buoys and um, only got punched maybe twice. So that wasn't too bad. Kept going. Like I said, I had my mental, you know, talk with myself, you know, you're not going to drown. You're going to be fine. If somebody punches you, just keep going, just keep swimming. And I got through the swim and I got on the bike and felt really good. 
um, the bike was an out and back and the Galveston course is notorious for really bad headwinds. So you either go out with head to your like head going against or wind going against you, or you come back with wind going against you. So we actually left with wind on our back. So, you know, super fast bike on the way out. Then on the way back, we got that strong wind, you know, hitting us in the face, um, which is always a challenge on the bike when you don't weigh very much and are small. Yeah, it's not fun. So the bike was um, was what I expected though. I, I did pretty good for it being my first. I was pretty happy with the results. And then my favorite part is always the run. I always, um, when I finish the bike, I'm like, okay, this is my time to shine. And um, I was hoping I would do under six hours for my first one. And I didn't. I think I did like six hours in a minute, something like that. And so it got really hot on the run. And the thir- it was three loops, which I hate. I never, now that I do, now that I know, I never sign up for races that are more than two loops because they're just, they're just boring. And then I, I don't know why I just, I, I prefer either two loops or an out and back. For me, mentally, it's easier for me to just know that if I go out that way, I'm going to come back out. Or if I'm doing two loops, I think, okay, I just have one more loop to go. This course was three and um, the tur- it just, it wasn't a very fun run course. I didn't really enjoy it. So the last loop, I was really struggling. And for me, struggling on the run, that doesn't usually exist, but this one it did. So, yeah. So, um, well, how soon after you finished did you decide, I want to do this again, and also, I want to do a full Ironman. I decided as soon as I finished, I'm like, I didn't get under six hours. Okay, no, we're doing this again. I need to do it again. And so I register for one, I think, that same year, which was in my hometown in Cartagena. Well, I was initially yeah. confused why that was in it. Well, not confused, but curious why that was on your list. Obviously, now I understand that's because where you're from. Yeah. But before we get there... So two months later, you do the Virginia Wine Country Half Marathon. Was that a trip back to your yes. Oprah friend? Yes, that was my friend. My my Oprah friend <laughs> wanted me to do, again, a, <laughs> a pacing exercise for her half. She wanted to break two hours. But I, you know, it, 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 during the race, I'm like, I'm not going to deal with this again. And I took off and I... Yeah, I know. I felt bad. But she told me, she told me, take off. You know, you're, you've already done this. We've been through this. We don't need to argue again. And I don't want you to have to shuffle again. And so I I told her, okay, well, you know what? The force be with you, my darling. I will see you at the finish line. (laughs) So I did that with her. Yeah. But she did, she did break two hours. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, she did break two hours. Well, and then, so how did you pick the Philly half marathon? So the Philly half, yeah, the Philly half was also with the same friend. Okay. We we do a lot of races together, no pacing this time. (laughs) Um, That originally was actually supposed to be a full. Okay. But um, I, so that was in November, and the concern, um, my coach at the time was still my coach, was concerned that if I did a full marathon, I would only have a few weeks mm-hmm. to recover for the half Ironman. And, you know, now that I'm a lot more seasoned, I think that wouldn't have been an issue. But back then, you know, we're still 
acclimating to the full distance. Um, you've only done two and you know, you're still getting into the half Ironman distance. So let's take it easy. Just do the half and, you know, try and do really good. And I, that was a PR half for me. I think I did 140, 140 something like that. 143. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that was a, a, a a PR and and that kind of set the stage for how I felt I would do for the half Ironman in Cartagena. So three weeks later you go. So what was that like? I mean, you've talking about taking too much stuff with you to your Ironman and now you're having to take all of this with you on an airplane. So how much did you overpack? Yeah. Oh, so much. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I think I took three suitcases <laughs> plus my bike. Oh, plus, plus the bike. Plus my bike. Oh, wow. Plus the bike. Yeah, I had way too many things. And and that that Ironman, which I thought was going to be my debut, I thought, I'm going to do amazing. I was just, I was overconfident, to be, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to get on the podium. I'm going to do great. I did terrible. Uh, I suffered. And the, the part that I did the worst was in the run. I, I was just suffering the whole time. It was... It was so hot and humid, which I should be used to living here. Um, but uh, my nutrition was off. I didn't properly um, give myself the nutrition I needed on the bike course. So the thing about also triathlon is that, especially Ironman distance, is the time that you're on the bike is the time that you need to fuel for the run. Because while you're running, you're not going to fuel um, like you would during a regular half Ironman or marathon. Uh, during the half, I usually only take maybe two gels while I'm doing my the half marathon piece. On the bike, though, that's where I'm getting all my nutrition. So during this race, I decided to make a rookie mistake and change my nutrition the day of the race. So stupid. What were you thinking? That was such a dumb mistake to make. Obviously, never made it again. But I mixed like two concoctions. I mixed like an BCAA with my regular stuff. It just, it was just stupid. Um, in my mind, I, it made sense. It did not make sense in my stomach. So the whole time on the run, I felt like shit. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. But I learned my lesson. Like I said, every race to me brings me lessons learned. Whether they were good races or bad races. Okay. Well, and so by the time you finished this Ironman, were you already signed up for the full? Yes. I had already signed up for Texas. Uh, this was like preparation. Okay. Um, let's do a half and then, and then let's do the Houston marathon. Um, and then the full, that was the goal. Okay. Did you do the Houston marathon? I did the half again because of the same reason. So I do, I register for the full, but then I went back and did whatever they call it when you decide to switch it to the transfer to the half. Mm -hmm. So I transferred to the half and just did it for fun. Again, because I get ahead of myself and have FOMO and want to do all the races. And then my coach tells me, you need to stop having FOMO. And, and then what is your goal, right? Your goal is to do a full Ironman. So that is what we need to work on. So I did the half. I don't, I think I did a, I think I did just a regular time. I don't remember if I had did anything significant. Like I, it was just a training run for me. Um, and then, oh yeah. yeah, I don't, but well, then I did the full, yeah. 
Athlinks is failing me on that one, and and it's okay. the day that Instagram is down, so I, I can't tell. <laughs> Darn Athlinks. Oh, but yeah, so I do the full um, April of the following year. Well, okay, so going into your first full Ironman, I mean, I and I've never even done personally. I've never done a marathon, but I've you know people talk about how much training goes into it and how long it takes and you know how yeah. many more hours go into your training when you're training for a marathon versus a half marathon. So heading into training for a Ironman. How significant is that? Like, how many hours a day do you train for something like that? Oh, it's very significant jump in, like, half Ironman and full Ironman, just like the marathon. Like, you hit it um, spot on. So, for a typical training day for me is usually a minimum of two hours. Um, And I usually have to break that up into – I either wake up at stupid early, like at four in the morning – and get everything done before 7.30. Or I do half of it in during lunch. Like maybe I'll do my swim during lunch and then I'll do my bike workout in the evening. But yeah, and then I have to, I'm, I'm huge on adding strength workouts, strength sessions to my training. So not only swimming, biking and running, but I do strength three times a week minimum. Um, and then I try to do yoga, but that's, Right now, I'm only getting one time a week, maybe two, because it's just so much. And then on the weekends is when the most volume happens. So my bike rides are usually between four to five and a half hours. And then sometimes I'll run after that for maybe 30 to 45 minutes. And then my my long runs are just like marathon training. It's like you build up exactly the same. You start at 10, you build, you build up every weekend about two two miles is what I usually ramp up and I will ramp up twice so I'll go up to 18 miles 20 miles and then I'll ramp down to like 16 and then I'll ramp up again to 20 and then I ramp back down so those weeks where I have those four or five hours and then those 18 20 milers those weeks are weekends are really exhausting (laughs) sounds like a lot well so if you're doing the long run I mean, I would assume, like, is one day the long run and one day is a long bike ride on the weekend? Yeah, so long rides are usually on a Saturday, and then the runs are usually on a Sunday. You usually want to do the runs the day after you do the bike because okay. you want to know how your legs, yeah. Mm-hmm. You want your, you want to feel that fatigue from a long bike ride. Um, so I try to make sure that, or sometimes if I can get off, get off of work or finish early enough and I don't have Friday meetings, I'll do my long bike on Friday with my group of friends in Sugarland. We'll do four to five hours. And then on Saturday with my running team, um, Njord, who I know you're familiar with, they do their long runs on Saturday. And so I like to run with them. Um, of course, having a group is makes a huge difference. And in this type of training where you're so many hours mm-hmm. out there, um, having a group is, is key. Right. So I'll try and do it on Saturdays. And then Sundays, I'll give myself a day off, which right now I'm only taking one day off. I really try to take one day off at least. Well, you should. That's a lot. I try yeah, to take yeah. one day off, and I'm only training for a half marathon right now. Yeah. Um, so what was that first Ironman like, competition-wise, when you get there? 
Well, I, I had a goal for myself. I said I wanted to do it in under 12 hours. And so, you know, from the beginning, in my mind, the whole time, I'm thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this in under 12 hours. I know I have it in me. Um, the, the, I'm always worried about the swim. I don't know why. But that fear has gone away. This, this year that I've competed in a few um, 70.3s, my swim fear has gone away. But during that time, I still had that swim fear. Um, just, am I going to be able to finish that, that length? And I mean, I trained for it, so I don't know why I doubted myself so much, but you know, um, I was able to finish it. Obviously I felt, I felt really good on the bike. I, my nutrition was on point. I was luckily I practiced it very well during training. And that's one of the things that, um, I tell, you know, my athletes and even I've learned from mistakes that, um, you have to train for your nutrition while you're training. So you don't just log miles and train that way. You need to train, like I said, physically, mentally, and, and nutritionally, if that's even a word, you have to train that piece as well. It's just as important. So I trained, I had my, my nutrition in check. And um, for a full Ironman, the nutrition is interesting because you can't just do gels or else you are going to want to throw up by the time you're running the marathon from all that sugar and, right. you know, just that consistency. Mm-hmm. So um, I tested out a few things I did while I was, you know, in my training, I tested out a few things and I found a perfect combination. I did tiny baked potatoes, like those little color, multicolored potatoes. They're like, oh, purple yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Those are amazing for, for Ironman racing for anyone listening um those give you the perfect amount of starch and carbs and and you add i so i boiled them and i added salt and i cut them up into like quarters and i put them in a little ziploc bag and i just had them open like my little ziploc bag open in my little bike nutrition and every 30 minutes i need a little potato and it was just like delicious little baked potato in my mouth as i'm riding my bike <laughs> And then to get a little sweet combination in there, I got two of those um, stinger waffles mm-hmm. and I made a Nutella sandwich out of oh. them. And then I cut them also into little tiny squares and put it in another little Ziploc bag. So I eat a little potato and a little Nutella sandwich. And then I would have like my actual like drink, my sports drink mix nutrition. And that's what I would drink. And I just basically drank three bottles and then ate that combination and I got on the run and I didn't stop. I felt like I had the best energy. I was happy. People were like, I remember my coach stopping me and like, you're, you're doing amazing. And I was like, I feel amazing. I just felt great during the run. I felt great. I, um, I didn't walk once, which, um, a lot of people tell me, you know, it's okay to walk in your first Ironman. Like, you know, it's, it's a long day. You should walk the water stops. And, I, you know, I was like, I'm not walking anything. I feel amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I and I took it easy. I wasn't running super hard. I think my pace was like, I don't I think it was like a nine something. So relatively easy zone two for me. Um, and I finished it and, and felt really good. It wasn't until the next two weeks that I felt like trash and I didn't like okay I know I did an Ironman but why is it taking me two weeks to feel better I just then I found out I was pregnant so my my daughter is an iron baby <laughs> oh man that's crazy well so 
Well, right, because now what do you do? So now you're you're pregnant. I mean, you you ran a couple races for fun. Um, so because like a lot of times you hear about marathoners training through their pregnancy. Kara Goucher ran up until the day she gave birth. What does right. that do to your training when you train for Ironman? Yeah, I mean, it completely stops it. I mean, I know a lot of iron triathletes that continue training. And um, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, of course, I was happy. And the first thing I think of, like, oh, man, what am I going to do with all these races I had planned? So <laughs> so I kept training, though. Um, I train until the day I give birth. And I think it really helped me with um, recovery. Um, I bounced back. Like, I think it took me two months. And then I went to the doctor and I was like, okay, I can, can I get back out and train? And she was like, yeah, you look great. Just take it easy. And I was back in two months without, and I actually feel like I came back a lot stronger, a lot stronger. So um, I think training while pregnant actually helped me tremendously. Um, I didn't go out and ride my bike during training because I was scared that, you know, you just don't know. And and Houston, you've heard of all these crazy accidents happening nowadays with cyclists and in the country roads, which is where I ride. So um, at that time, it wasn't, you didn't hear about these stories as much as you do now, unfortunately. But I still was nervous and didn't want to put my my child at risk. And so I just did like indoor spinning classes. I swam a ton. I still ran. I did a turkey trot. I did um, a few 5Ks. and yeah, it, I, obviously by like the ninth month, I could not run very much, um, too much, to, too much weight to carry, but, uh, but it, it did help me for sure. Being, staying, staying in that training routine helped me a ton. Well, it looks like, so once you, when was you, when did you, um, when was the baby born? She was born in December 30th. Okay. So right, right before New Year's. 2018, we spent New Year's in the hospital. Yeah. Happy New Year. No, Happy New Year's. Where's the whiskey? (laughs) At least she wasn't a Christmas baby. I mean, but still in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, kind of in the middle. Everyone's on vacation when when it's her birthday, but it's okay. Yeah, Yeah, we'll make it work. She doesn't know yet. (laughs) Um, So it looks like you eased your way back in. I mean, I have an infant, so a couple tries. Back to the turkey trot because everybody loves the turkey trot. Everyone loves it. And your first, your first big race back now is is twenty twenty Houston Marathon. Correct. And so, yeah, is that when you went in when your goal was sub three thirty? Yes, that was my goal. Um, I was still, you know, obviously recovering and having. I was having. So I actually was. It wasn't so much an injury, but it was. Um, kind of a post-pregnancy, having had a baby-related injury, I guess you could call it, because it was a hip thing that I got. Um, It was a small tear somewhere. I don't remember where. It was somewhere in my hip. Mm -hmm. Um, I got an MRI, and this is while I was training for marathon. I just had this horrible pain. I get an MRI, and I get these results, and I'm thinking, well, there goes my, you know, my 330. Um, Now I'm injured. Um, but luckily, I found the most amazing chiropractor here in Houston. His name's Dr. Price. Um, his place is called Movement Chiropractic. And um, I started going there. He's right off of Wall, actually, mm-hmm. um, on Allen Parkway. 
Um, and he's a marathoner slash triathlete himself. So uh, a friend of mine recommended him. And I start seeing him. I show him the MRI results. And he's like, look, this is just, this is nothing crazy. You had a baby. You know, your hips, your, you know, your anatomy is different now. Um, this is kind of a result of you being very active and, you know, having had a baby. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do some dry needling. We're going to do some cupping. We'll give you some deep tissue. I'm going to give you these exercises for you to do these special stretching exercises. And you're going to run your marathon and you're going to do it in sub 330. And I'm like, you are a man of my word. You know, I, this is the kind of talk that I needed because if you tell me that I can do it and if you're going to help me get there, then I'll put in the work that I need to. So that I was really good with my stretches and, um, and I went to see him, I think it was like once every two weeks and it, it worked. Um, I was back running like a month later without any pain. And at that point it was just, let's get the mileage, let's ramp up the mileage and, and do some track sessions to really work on the speed and, and you'll, you're, you're going to get there. So I was really nervous. Um, that race was one of, I cried so much in that race. Like I cried before the race, I cried during the race. I cried after the race, a lot happened during the race with my nutrition plan, but I got it. I got my sub three thirty. No mini baked potatoes. No baked potatoes, but the nutrition issue was funny because I, I don't like holding things when I'm running for a full marathon. I find it really distracting. So I have a running belt. I've tried everything you can think of. Um, so for this particular race, I thought, well, I'm going to convince my parents to meet me at a point along the route to give me the nutrition. Of course, this sounds like the perfect plan when you don't take into account that a lot of roads are going to be closed because of the race. So I tell them, look, there's this tracker app. You just follow me. When you see me at mile 14, you're going to give me my handheld nutrition that I really, really need because I'm only surviving off of gels at this point, but I need my drink nutrition as well because that's like 300 calories. So I tell them exactly where to meet me and I pass by, you know, it was mile 11. I pass mile 11 and they are nowhere to be seen. And at this point, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm like, where the hell are they? Oh, my God. What am I going to do? I had my phone on me. So I actually called them while running. Where are you guys? They're like, Naudi, we can't get there. It's closed. We're trying to find another road. So they ended up catching up to me at like mile 16. So from mile 11 to like mile 14 or 15, I don't remember, but there was like a three mile block where my pace went down and that's when I was having that mental breakdown and that I wasn't going to be able to finish with my nutrition. They finally find me and my dad hands me the nutrition and I'm like, okay, all systems are go. And that's when I pick it back up. Um, I kind of recovered the time that I had lost in those miles during the last part of it um, and made it. <laughs> well, and also I think for those tracker apps, they're not right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're not. Inaccurate. That's well, right. It's, it's not a GPS tracker. That's an estimate yeah. based off your pace when you hit the mats every 5K or however far spaced apart their, their mats yes. are. Yes. Exactly. That was another lesson. Do not <laughs> trust the tracker apps. Not unless you, <laughs> yeah. Oof. yeah. Um, well, so 
unfortunately, that was your only official race of 2020. Unfortunately, yes. So what what was training like during COVID for you? So for me, um, I did, there was a few virtual options for Ironman virtual races. So when COVID first, you know, when we first found out, um, I obviously we were in disbelief for a while and we're like, no, everything's fine. This is all exaggerating. People are just exaggerating. And then I was like, no, this is the real, this is really happening. And then toilet paper was scarce for some weird reason. And, um, so, you know, we're all coping. And I remember at this point, I'm like, I had, I had races that I was registered for. I was doing, um, I don't remember what I was doing, but I know I was scheduled. I was registered for a few races. And of course I talked to my coach. I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, there's what, what is happening right now? And so he's like, look, let's just, let's just keep training. Let's just keep building your base. And, um, you know, you don't want to just take off, right? Take off this time and not do anything. Mm -hmm. And he knew I wasn't going to. So I took advantage and I did, like I said, some virtual races through Ironman. And then I did a few running virtual races and I kind of just kept training aimlessly and frustratedly, I guess, like a lot of people, I'm sure just training without any sort of goal, but just for the sake of training. Um, to be honest, I always have enjoyed training. So the fact that I didn't have a race wasn't too discouraging for me because I knew that they would come back eventually. And I thought, you know, if anything, I should look at this as time that I can, you know, have a lot of training in without races, which there's no ramp up, right? Because for a race, you have to ramp up. So I'm going to build my base to have a really strong base. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And maybe people will not train very much and maybe I'll have an advantage because I kept training. So I kind of tried to look at it that way. Um, I remember running though, because I still would run outside. It was really weird to run outside, um, especially on the bayou because the bayou even closed at one point mm -hmm. when COVID was really bad. And I went to, and I thought, well, if I just run along the roads on the top part, um, it might not be closed. And it wasn't, but it was still weird. It was just, there was just a weird atmosphere in the air. Apart from COVID attacking everybody, it was just, people were scared. And of course, you know, I didn't wear a mask during running, which I kind of wish I would have at least worn a buff. Um, luckily, I have not had COVID. Um, so I'm happy about that. But, uh, but yeah, I think I was, it was more that kind of disbelief of, is this really happening? Really? Is this really what we're going through right now? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was strange. I always had a buff with me, but I didn't run. I didn't wear it. I, and I, well, yeah, and I also, just, I tried not to run near people. Yeah, that's what I would do. Like if I saw somebody coming towards me, I would kind of just go on the other side of, of the road yeah. or, you know, make sure not to run right past them. Right. Um, yeah. It was a lot. Well, so. Yeah. Definitely. One of the virtual races you did was virtual Houston in January. Right. right. So did you run that with a group of people or did you do that solo? I did that by myself, actually. Um, I did that with, again, coerced my parents since they failed. Well, there'd me the be last no road closures this time. Yes. I told them you guys failed me. Well, they didn't fail me because eventually they caught me. Right. But I thought this is your second chance. So 
you will, I, uh, my dad has a little like city bike. So he, him and I mapped out the course. We did the Braze Bayou once. So there's a group actually that did, did, we started with. They started at this lady's house. Super nice. They um, had food. Um, they even like drew a, a start line with chalk. It was really nice little um, setup. So I did start with them. And so the first, I think I did the, I, yeah, the, I did 13 miles with that group. I kind of broke off because I was trying to hit, um, you know, a goal of sub 3.30. So I broke off and I did the first 13 miles along the Braze Bayou. And then the rest of the route, my dad had mapped out, like, basically meandering through his whole neighborhood, just going up and down and snaking through all of the, all of the roads, mm -hmm. all of the neighborhood roads. And we did that twice. And he was on his little city bike, so he would stop traffic. It was really cute. He'd be like, stop. She, she's running. And I, I couldn't stop my watch. Right. right. Well, I didn't want to stop right. my watch. Right, because I was, I didn't want it. I needed it to be just like a full race simulation. So um, he had my mom join him at one point with her city bike, and it was at mile eighteen that I started getting stomach, stomach gurglies. Oh no! Yes, yes. And so I was prepared, though. I said, if I start getting this, I'm going to take an emodium. And, um, and my dad was ready. I was like, it's happening. He hands me over the emodium. Oh, <laughs> Luckily, yes. And I, I, I usually have GI issues, which is why for me, nutrition is so important. Mm -hmm. So, um, luckily, um, at that point, my mom was with me and she, and I said, my stomach, I'm going to have to stop. And she's like, you are not stopping. Even if you have to poop your pants. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I am not stopping. I am not stopping. And I didn't poop my pants, luckily. Bonus, <laughs> bonus for sure. And um, and I did I did really good. That was that was an amazing race. It was by myself, obviously with my dad, but I had, you know, we weren't talking because I was just focused. And it was so mental. It was like you know, during a race, part of it is the beauty of it is you have people around you and you have people cheering and you have all of this camaraderie. And so when you do it alone, it's a whole nother animal as far as like the mental aspect of it. So um, definitely had to hone that in, especially miles 18 through 26, where I had, you know, the stomach issues. And my mind was getting to that point where like, oh, no, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. That's when, you know, I had to kick it into high gear. Like, you're not going to fail. You got this. And my goal was sub 330, but I, my coach had told me, I think you can do 316. And so I ended up doing 3.13 and was beyond happy for that, for that result. 3.13 alone, when your previous PR, well, number one, 3.13 alone is insane no matter what, but you just took 12 minutes off your PR from an actual race and you're running on the city streets alone. Yeah. So it was incredible, like I said. Definitely my, my mind game was there. Perfect start to 21. So, yes. a couple months later, you jump in a half marathon, Vintage Park. Yes. First yes. in-person race. With my running team. Okay, first in-person yeah. race back. Uh, did you have a goal for that when you went in? Yes. Also wanted to do sub-130 for that one. Yep. And that's when I start. So, this race, I started training with Njord because I needed 
I wanted a running group um, in town and a, f- a faster kind of group that would push me. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine had told me about Yorn, and she says, you know, these guys are, are crazy fast. Um, you're going to love them. They're great to train with. They're super nice. So I meet Raz, um, and then I meet all the other, Andrew and all of them, Emily, all great people. I clicked right away. And then one of the uh, my training buddies, his name's Pedro, he tells me, um, I just did sub-130. I know you can do it. Like, let's train for it. I'll pace you. And so for Vintage Half, it was a few of us, Andrew, Emily, we all decided let's let's have Pedro pace us and, and hit sub-130. Mm-hmm. So that was the goal. And, um, yeah, did, I, that, race was, that race was tough. Um, definitely very human, but, um, but I hit the goal. And I thought I won, but then I found out I didn't. So that was fun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so now you're going to do back-to-back half Ironman. I don't even know if it's half Ironman, half Ironmans, because that's not my world. Half Ironman? Yeah. <laughs> so it was actually originally just one, and then I was going to do the full next week. So that second half is, a, um, is not a planned Ironman. Okay. Well, so that was my other question because I don't also like, I know how worlds work for track, but I don't know Uh how worlds work for the Ironman. So did you qualify for that from your race in Oregon or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So in Oregon, um, I qualified for the championships in Utah and for that you have to automatically. So they call you up, you know, do you accept your slot to, you know, Ironman 2021 World Championships? You basically give them all your money and your soul and then you register on the spot. So you have to go to the, you know, so you're, you can't just like, let's say, oh, well, I don't want to go this year. I want to go next year. Like, no, you already qualified for this year. If you want to go next year, you have to qualify again. So I qualify for this year and just say, yes, I want to go. This is like an incredible opportunity. I've never been to a world championship. It's a dream of mine. Eventually, one day I want to go to the to Kona, which is the full world championship. So this is like a step into that. So um, I register and then I say, okay, well, now I only have like a month to, no, yeah, a month and a half. Six weeks, six weeks, maybe? Yeah, six weeks, yeah which I wasn't too nervous about because I had just raced. So I thought, well, I'm fresh. Uh, my coach was not very happy about that decision, but. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, so we skipped over. We didn't talk about your actual race in Oregon. Was that a full hour PR? Yeah, a full hour. <laughs> well, because remember the last time I had done a 70.3, I, had that horrible race right? and I was trying to get revenge the next year and then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So no. And then I did my full, then I get pregnant. Right. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Baby's good. I'm ready to get back into it. I need revenge on 70.3. I'm going to do some five hours and I can't do it because COVID happens. And so this was my year to shine (laughs) 70.3 wise. Absolutely. Well, so it was, and I don't know. So you got 12th in your age group in Oregon. And then you yes. go to the world championships and you get 20th in your age group, which, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? 
Yeah. I would be happy getting 20th in my age group in like the Houston half. (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, for the world championships, that's for me, that was huge. Yeah. Um, Especially because that race was crazy. That race was, um, I don't know if you saw the post, like a lot of people posted on Facebook about it. Um, We went through a desert storm. Oh, yes. There was lightning. You saw it. There was Mm -hmm. hail. 50 mile per hour winds. There were these giant tumbleweeds going through the bike course. So I'm on the bike when this is happening, when this, when the world is ending, I'm like trying to stay, you know, in that mindset where I'm not going to die. I'm going to be okay. Just keep going strong. A lot of, a lot of girls were not even, you know, in, in, in a triathlon bike, you get an aerodynamic position on your aero bars a lot of people were not able to because it was scary. You felt like your, the bike was going to, you know, just go from under you. So, um, yeah, the bike was, was, was crazy. And then the climbing in St. George on the bike was like 30, 3,500 feet in elevation gain of climbing. But um, as soon as the storm was over, the, luckily that's when the run started and then we got some rain in the run, but you know, running in the rain isn't, isn't crazy. It's actually quite nice in my opinion. Depending on the weather, it definitely can be. Well, I mean, I just yeah. clicked into your splits and your half inside of your half Ironman was a one thirty eight. Yes. That was uh, that, like I said, I knew this was my time to shine. Um, I, I ran my heart out. I seriously did. I, the first, so it's a two, it was a two loop course, six, six and a half miles. Yes. Six and a half miles each. And the first three miles of each loop were, uh, so the first two miles were false flat. So you were climbing the whole time at about 2% gradient, climbing, climbing. And so then the third mile was a 9% gradient. So you were basically shuffling up a wall. It was and a whole mile, a whole mile of this. A lot of people walking. And, you know, again, my mind is just on overdrive at that point. I say, I am not going to walk. It doesn't matter if I'm a shuffling at a slower pace. You are not walking. And I, I did it. I was consistent. <laughs> and um, I did... The first, so you can tell on the splits when when the downhill kicks in because that's when you, I really kicked it up. And my coach told me, you know, when you're on the uphills, just stay steady, stay relaxed. You know, um, I train with power in my runs, so I never actually see my pace, which is interesting. So a lot of people are like, oh, what pace are you doing? I don't ever know until my mile will show up on my watch, like mile one, mile two. Um, so I'm always looking at a power and to me that mentally that helps me mentally because I am not so focused on like, Oh, I'm not hitting this pace. I'm just, I'm, my energy is going towards what power output I need to give. So if I'm going up a hill, obviously that's more power output. So I needed to stay in a conservative sort of power to go up the hill and then downhill, it was really high cadence and steady power. And the downhills were wicked fast, which was nice. Just three miles downhill and then do that all over again. It was very exciting. Well, so where do you go from there? What are you training for now? 
So originally I had a full Ironman next weekend, which is Texas. But again, um, I, um, I, I thought I could do it. You know, I'm like, Oh no, I can do a full Ironman after having done a half. There's no, you know, and my coach always bringing me back down, bringing me to reality said, you know, you can physically do both, but are you going to do well at both? And do you really want to do risk an injury just to say I did, you know, when you can defer because right now, luckily for Ironman races, their deferral policies are pretty lenient with COVID. And so um, I thought about it for a while and I thought, yeah, I should probably listen to him. He probably knows what he's talking about. So um, I emailed Ironman and they allowed me to defer for 2022. So I'm doing full Ironman next year and I'm doing the, I'm doing another 70.3 in November which is called Oil Man. It's in Conroe. It's not Ironman affiliated. Okay. So it's just a lot. Yeah, it's just a local race. Um, and then I'm going to do the Houston half, which I'm sure you're doing as well. October. And then, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The Houston half in October and then the full in January, full, um, full marathon, the Chevron marathon in January and then the Ironman in April. And hopefully I'm not pregnant this time by then. Fingers crossed. No plans on it. (laughs) All right. I've kept you for a while. We're almost done. I have a few more questions, and these are the ones that I ask everybody. I think they're fun. I have to say that. Nobody tells me they're not. I just like to tell you. I think these are the fun questions. So where's your favorite place to run in Houston? My favorite place would have to be the Bayou, the Braze to Herman to Rice. So Braze Bayou to Herman Park and Rice, that loop. I love that loop. I love the trees, the shaded area. Um, There's water stops. There's bathrooms, which are really important to me. Um, It has everything I need and the scenery. Do you have bucket list races out out there that you want to do? Both calendar, um, calendar, both. God, I can't speak. Um, Ironman and marathons. Yeah. Ironman and marathon. So for Ironman, definitely Kona. I want to qualify for Kona. So my goal for Ironman Texas next year is to do that. So really, really working hard towards that. And then for marathon, um, Boston, which is crazy. I qualified for Boston with my 328 time, but because they remember they did that cushion that now it's, the time went down. I think you had to have a 325 for my age. Okay. And so I didn't qualify. And then my virtual time didn't count. Right. Because it was virtual. Right. So I have those two. I have Boston. It's like I I have to go to Boston. So for Houston Marathon, that's, that's my goal. goal. Okay. I so want to get to Boston. Are you still in the same age uh, age group? Is, is yes. it still 330? 330, so, so, yeah. So I think I have it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so thinking back to all of the running you've ever done, doesn't have to be a race, can be an Ironman. Uh, what's your best running memory? My best running memory. I think it would have to be that Houston marathon with my parents. Um, it was, it was very, like I said, just so mentally 
challenging because I was by myself. Um, but I had my dad with me. And even though we weren't talking, just having him there support me meant a lot to me. Um, and just hitting that goal without anybody really to cheer me on or crossing the line or it was a very different experience in any type of racing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And it still brought as much reward and emotions to me as if I would have done a race in, in a real race scenario. So that was definitely memorable. And it was on my birthday. So the Chevron marathon happens to fall on my birthday. It's the best thing I can do is run during my birthday. <laughs> Perfect. Do you have any crazy running stories? Anything like really weird or crazy ever happened to you on the run? Um, anything crazy. Uh, well, I did do a few trail runs. Um, a few, I did like maybe two or three trail runs. And I think one of them, it's a poop story though. I hate poop. I don't know if people like poop stories, but <laughs> I, I always think they're funny. And if you're a runner, you know that poop stories are funny. But um, these trail runs are pretty interesting because they're not the same as road racing and the people and everything are a bit different, right? Um, trail runners are more like, I don't know, not, they're just like more bohemian. I don't know what the word is, but they're different. Hippie's different not right, but it's close. Hippie's not right either. I know. I don't know what to call them, but definitely up my alley. Super cool. I, I love the trail community. Um, but I remember this was my first trail run that I had ever done. And my friend did tell me, you might see weird things because, you know, people go in bushes and you might see people pop out. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's not going to be people popping out of bushes. But yeah, there was a man and he decided to take a dump near a bush and he was not very covered at all. And But it was actually my fault. I got out of the trail. I kind of got lost and I ran into this man's temporary porta potty spot and I ran into him while he was pooping. It oh was disgusting. <laughs> yes. It was really gross. I didn't run on him, but like definitely into him where he fell. And I don't know if he fell into anything disgusting, but I just, I kept running and laughing. And it was just, I didn't even know what to do. Were you what like you yelling, do? sorry, over your shoulder? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, that's exactly what I ran. Like, I'm so sorry and just cracking up like i'm not going to turn around and ask if he needs help with his butt in the air like that's so awkward <laughs> i'll never forget that trail run. that's the best one yet i mean i've had like people break this somebody told me about they broke their foot on a run somebody got lost in like kenya for several hours I, oh wow i think i think you win <laughs> i ran into a man that was it was very unpleasant <laughs> All right, moving on. If, if you could run with anyone, living, dead, cartoon character, whatever, for any distance, who would it be and how far would you go? Oh, that one's easy. Molly Seidel. She is my hero. I love her. I mean, the fact that this girl has run maybe like two marathons and is already winning medals at the Olympics. I think she's run like three marathons, two or three. The Something. Olympics was her third. Wait. Was her third. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, her, her mind must be like, what does she practice? She must practice some crazy mental hypnosis 
to get her at this state where she is just so focused and you see her like I'll watch videos of her and her track workouts and I'm just so inspired by her that I would just run a whole marathon with her and I would tell her take this as your easy run while I'm probably dying at that pace but just tell me everything give me all the tips even though she's like 10 years younger than me I'm asked I will ask her for all the inspiration absolutely good choice all right last question we talked about how you got into running and what that's looked like for you, but why do you keep going? Why do you run? I continue to run because it's, it's simple. It's what makes me happy. Um, you know, if I'm having a bad day, I go out for a run. And out of the three sports, even though I practice triathlon, out of the three sports, that is the sport that for me gives me the most satisfaction afterward. Um, it just calms me down and health wise, you know, it's something that I can go and travel and just take my running shoes and I can go for a run and get to know a city. So it, it opens doors, um, as, and the social aspect. And so that makes me happy. It keeps me healthy, which makes me happy. And it allows me to be flexible and stay active when I travel, which keeps me happy. Good answer. All right, Laura, thank you so much for the thank last- Thank you for having me. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Runners of Hue. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or however you hear podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.